Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 172 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We've got a packed show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez a little bit later on and Harvey Hyde's on special assignment this week, secret assignment. We have Dan Weber coming on to talk all about the USC failed appeal and, and the news that came out on Monday morning about Jim Trestle resigning from Ohio State and what that has to do with USC. We'll get to talk about all of that. If you have any questions or comments, we have a bunch of them coming up today. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us, 206-888-6755 is the number. Give us a call. Leave us a voicemail. We can play your voicemail on the air and answer your question on the podcast. Like we said, we have Dan Weber coming up here in the first segment. Thanks for joining us, Dan. How you doing? Happy Memorial Day. Oh, it's a good, uh, good, good, nice weekend. Uh, every uh, it just seems to come at the right time, and I think getting us, uh, getting us a little chance to catch our breath. And uh, you know, I was just thinking, uh, talking about USC football and thinking about USC football. And how the more you know about USC football, you think, uh, and listening uh, to uh, uh, some of the great, you know, past USC players, and and the two stories that always are so special to me uh, on on a weekend like this is uh, when you have an Ernie Zamperini, and uh, uh, oh, um, then there was the uh, the 19. Gosh, the guy that played, he scored two touchdowns against Notre Dame in 1938-39 game. Both of them went into the war. Both of them were in uh, captured in prison camps. Both of them were their lives were saved by their USC class rings because the person in charge of the prison camp in both cases was also a USC graduate. Wow! Uh, <laughs> for the Japan fighting for the Japanese. And I always thought, you know, there's something about USC that's just special. It's just one of those kinds of, those are the kinds of stories about USC uh, that uh, you just don't see uh, anywhere else, that there's just something really uh, special uh, about the Trojan family and, and, and holidays are for families. And you just think that no matter what happens, you know, with uh, the whole uh, NCAA thing and, and all of that, that USC is this, you know, Trojan family, and, and, and these are weekends when you can think more about uh, what a wonderful, uh, you know, special, uh, you know, place the Trojan family is. Certainly is, Dan, and just wanted to special shout-out and thanks to everyone out there that served the country today and in, in years past on Memorial Day. It's a day to remember. And uh, those are good stories too, Dan. Gonna, there was a book too coming out. They were, wasn't there a book? Was it Unbreakable or something like that? Undefeated. Undefeated. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Laura Hillenbrand book about, uh, uh, and, and he's, he's 93 years old. And just, there's no Trojan like, you know, uh, I mean, he was there at the, Ernie Zamperini was there at the, um, uh, uh, 
celebration for seniors. And Harry, he was wearing his USC cap like he always does. And, uh, you know, just uh, what a wonderful, you know, story he was, you know, to come off the, you know, an immigrant from Italy who grew up speaking Italian, family moved to Torrance and, you know, grew up sort of a street kid that got into USC, uh, you know, became, uh, I mean, he basically, I guess, the great, greatest miler uh, of his era and uh and then how he survived in uh in World War Two and floating two thousand miles on a raft in the Pacific after his uh bomber, you know, had been shot down and, and all the things he survived in uh you know in prison camp and that. Just uh, an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, person. And yeah, and, and Laura Hildebrand is the author who won the Pulitzer for her uh, her book on Seabiscuit. And and you know this is her second book she chose to to write about him and and that's just a you know what a tribute you know to him uh, and it's the kind of book anybody you know who's uh, uh, a you know Trojan fan ought to ought to consider you know taking a look at it just to, or giving it as a gift to anybody they know who's a Trojan fan uh, just just a fabulous uh, you know story about uh, about one of the you know all time great Trojan uh, heroes. Um, all right, yeah, definitely. I, went, I was in the bookstore the other day. I forgot the name of it, so I'll go back and uh, pick. I thought I was thinking, yeah, but undefeated. I'll go check it out. I definitely wanted to read that. I love World War II stuff too, and obviously the USC connections would be great. Um, the uh, obviously the big news this week for USC, and we'll get to the Jim Trestle stuff in a little bit, is the denied appeal, and we could go on. I mean, forever about this, but you know, we've been talking about it a while. Maybe just you know some of your quick thoughts on. You know what went down this past week from you. Know, you got to hear Lane Kiffin, you got to hear Pat Hayden, and just after a couple of days, it gets to settle in. What are your overall thoughts? Well, I mean, I think USC actually put themselves in a position to handle it. You know, my feeling is, uh, and USC might be the only school in America that could actually handle it. I mean, when you hear about, for example. Uh, Alabama and the SEC schools coming up with all these reasons why they have to oversign. You know, why I don't know if anybody saw this. Arkansas, everybody thought, wow, USC combined uh, two classes, you know, uh, uh, eight or nine from the uh, early entries and uh, then the regular signing, and they ended up with 30 or 31, you know, and we're always batting that number around uh, for this year. Wow, that was really something. And then you find out Arkansas signed 37. You know, I mean, it's just a, a standard operating procedure in the SEC where they've decided 85 scholarships isn't enough. So now USC figuring out how to manage with 5 if they have to. And I still say if they have to. I, you, know, you can say the appeal is over and they're not. I, I don't think, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, that it's absolutely over. Uh, I just think there are things going on. I think the NCAA is so badly exposed in this case that uh, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't even say that. But I know that there are people out there who are probably planning on coming up with uh, things like uh, slogans and logos and T-shirts that say "R75 can beat your year 85." And I think uh, they're absolutely right. I think USC is one of the you know maybe the place in America that could figure out how to ride this out. And I don't think people ought to say, oh, they're not going to be competitive and, and, and all that over the years. But um, but I still wouldn't want to um, give in to basically 
people that are ruining college athletics. I mean, this is just uh, the decision in the USC case had nothing to do, I don't think, with USC. It had everything to do with people on the committee and people at the NCA trying to protect their own little little areas where uh, uh, where they thought they could get away with, they thought they had more evidence in the USC case, they thought they had to make the decision because they'd been yelled and screamed at for four years by the uh, uh, the national media who did such a horrific job in uh, analyzing the USC case and knowing what was there. And, uh, I mean, you, you see that this morning when Colin Cowherd comes on and says, well, you know, Ohio State, they don't know if they'll get as much as USC got. And you want to say, Colin, they should get ten times as much. They got their head coach participating in a, a cover-up and lying about it and playing ineligible players, multiple ineligible players, for an entire season, none of which USC did with any kind of knowledge. There's no proof. There's no nothing. And, for you know, for people to say, I don't know, they won't get as bad as USC, but 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 – and, uh, they could get a pretty tough penalty. And you say, why won't they get as bad as USC? Why won't they get more than USC? Shouldn't they get more than USC? Well, yeah, of course they should. But uh, uh, it's just it's amazing how uh, how bad a job the media has done uh, on you know on this uh, on this case. And so you know, I, I would love to see. And I know I would disagree with Pat. Pat says he wants it over, wants it behind us. I think this is the opportunity to force the U.S. Uh, the NCA to, um, uh, you know, to get their act together and probably have an awful lot of their power taken away because they have acted so badly in this particular case. And none of us pay attention to what the NCA does unless it happens to you. And up close and, and, and personal and seeing what the NCA has done over the last couple of years, it's stunning to see uh, how out of control they are. You want to talk about schools and their lack of institutional control, the NCA has done a horrific job. Uh, their whole excuse for punishing USC the way they did a year ago was they wanted to send a message to all the rest of college sports. Yeah, well, the message is this is the worst single year for scandal in college sports history. Uh, more schools, more big names, more, uh, you know, just blatant violations. Uh, schools playing in the cha- national championship game in football and basketball that really I think we all know there's serious, serious, serious problems and uh, nothing was, nothing's being done about it. By the way, I have to throw in Ernie Zamperini. I, I, I think I said undefeated. It's Unbroken is the Un- name of the book. Unbroken uh, is the Laura Hillebrand book. Uh, and uh, the subtitle was A World War II Story of Survival, Resilience, and Redemption. I have it. So uh, <laughs> that's what I can tell you. But uh, Unbroken is the wonderful, wonderful um, biography of, of Ernie Zamperini. Oh, great. Okay. I'll check that one out, Dan. And then. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we've been on top of the story. You've done a great job, Dan, with everything that's going on. And you know, you already mentioned Ohio State. Now that Jim Trestle, you know, resignation comes in, do you think it means like a lighter punishment for Ohio State? Is that what they're trying to get out of this, or how do you how do you think this ties in with what US what happened with the USC? Well, I guess there's a couple of theories, and uh, uh, one of the theories is they found something else out. Now I know there's things theories are. 
he was in Florida vacationing yesterday, and he had to fly home today, this morning, to resign. Uh, now, the other, I know they had appointed some kind of a high-level committee, um, and uh, that um, uh, had given the Ohio State President, uh, Gordon G., a uh, recommendation. Uh, but uh, uh, whether there are other things there, people assume there are. The, the problem Ohio State's got is, there have been so many things going on for so long. I mean, there was a basketball player uh, last week who writes a, a blog uh, who'd been a basketball player uh, 2006 through 2010, and he mentioned in his blog that uh, he knew the basketball players couldn't afford all the new cars that the football players were driving around in, and he just assumed something was going on, but he, he wasn't going to ask anybody or say anything. But you have people inside the Ohio State program basically saying, uh, that, uh, uh, you know, that something's going on. And, you know, if, you know, I mean, I grew up in Cincinnati, but we, you know, a lot of friends that, you know, uh, their kids went to Ohio State or, uh, you know, or just recently, and, and they could tell you what car Terrell Pryor was driving this week. You know, they could, you know, tell you what kind of a high-end condo he was living in. They could tell you, you know, lots of things about um uh, about uh, you know the Ohio State program, and uh, you know it's just being validated you know day by day, week by week. I mean it, it was a difficult Ohio State program for years has been like the pro team in Columbus. You know the, you know since I had the Bengals, Cleveland had the Browns, and the Ohio State had the Buckeyes, and uh, they kind of treated it like that. And then Columbus has become a really big metropolitan you know city, and uh, these guys were their their pro football team. This was not a you know a USC case where where um, you know USC whether you like it or not you know Reggie Bush was 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 the one player that of all these years uh, you can focus on and say there was uh, something else going on in terms of uh, you know money and and uh, things that were being offered to a player. But that's not the case in Columbus, Ohio. You could go to into an awful lot of businesses and see a lot of memorabilia, up, you know, signed memorabilia on the wall. It was a different culture. And, I, you know, I, I think it was probably hard for Trestle to, uh, you know, maybe you're not going to change the culture. Uh, now, how much he cooperated with it and all that, I don't know, but... Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I was around the program. I grew up in Kentucky and covered Kentucky when Kentucky basketball was kind of out of control. And uh, uh, you needed a near-death penalty experience, and you needed um, a new coach coming in with, with Catino who could basically say, you know, to players, and, and the first rule he made was any player who's seen with an adult not in his family is off the team. I mean, that was the only, they had to absolutely forbid contact between players at any time uh, because there was so much, you know, I mean, we would go, I mean, it just, it would be, bas after basketball games, you would walk, you know, you'd go in the locker room and talk to kids, which was kind of amazing. We were still able to go in the locker room. And kids would still have the money in their hands that they'd just been given by boosters. And, you know, they'd be laughing about it, you know, and that, and just, it was one of those, you know, deals where, uh, one of the problems was there were still NCAA rules. For example, you were allowed to auction off your, your basketball tickets if you were a player. The rule had not been changed yet. 
Well, Kentucky, uh, when they were all sold out in basketball, you know, the basketball tickets were sold out and they were a finite number, you could auction off your tickets for thousands of dollars. And the players did. I mean, it was – so there was a standard that allowed kind of the players to – be in contact with uh, with people who were giving them money legally, and it was a very short uh, step for people who were doing it legally to uh, illegally. And again, a lot of that was the NCA's fault. The NCA should not have been allowing uh, players to auction off their tickets and things like that. And um, a lot of the problems I think they've got today are are the NCA's problem. Uh, they haven't done a very good job. And they clearly didn't send the right message in the USC uh, decision. They clearly sent a message that uh, there are no rules, there are no precedents, and it's whatever the NCA Committee on Infractions wants to do, they're allowed to do. So what does that tell you? Well, you better get somebody on the committee. As Pat Hayden, I thought the best thing he said the other day was, when you, we asked, I asked him basically, what do you do if there are no rules, there are no precedents. You can't look at what happened in previous cases and say, oh, this is what we have to avoid or this is how the penalty is going to be or whatever. So what do you do in a situation? Because basically they've said there are no rules anymore because if nothing from a previous case or a previous year applies to your case, how do you uh, handle that? And, and he said, you know, don't get in front of the committee. That's all. That's the only way you can – you can save yourself is stay away from the committee because they're allowed to do anything they want to you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Basically, they've removed all opportunity for appeal at this point in time. So uh, uh, it's, uh, it's it's not a good situation, but I think the NCAA ought to be the focal point of what's going on here, not USC, not Ohio State. The NCAA is the problem. All right. Uh, well, we got some questions here you know, regarding okay. all of that. Let's get to those. Um, Casey wrote in and wanted to know, he was talking about what was going on in Ohio State and the, the BCS. Uh, they were allowed to play players in the BCS game and, and keep their trophy from the game. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the BCS letting USC keep uh, their BCS trophy and, and not stripping it, them, stripping it from them? Interesting point. Uh uh, the, the problem is USC is the other. They're the hated. They're, they're the, what, the example that people want to make. Uh, Ohio State, not so much. So in a way, it's a compliment to USC, but in a way, it's, uh, you know, they got railroaded. They got stampeded. Uh, if you remember when that, uh, uh, they were, you know, clamoring the media, all the idiot media, clamoring for uh, Reggie Bush to, have the Heisman taken away and for um, uh, USC to have the BCS taken away. Like, that was the worst thing that ever happened. Now, of course, they're a little embarrassed because, uh, uh, you know, they've had both teams in the championship game this year were pretty much tainted, uh, and the NCAA bent over backwards to make sure Cam Newton could play. Uh, and then you've got, uh, you know, what they did to get Ohio State eligible for uh, those five eligible for the Sugar Bowl. And now we saw what uh, Connecticut was doing and um, still, and that, you know, allowed to win the NCAA championship in basketball. So the drumbeat isn't quite as loud, is it, to uh, uh, make Ohio State give the Sugar Bowl trophy back. Uh, I'm guessing Ohio State's going to have to do that on their own. Uh, but, you know, USC agreed 
that Reggie was ineligible, I'm not sure why they agreed to that. Uh, I don't think the NCAA really had any kind of uh, solid proof that Reggie had, you know, was ineligible, uh, you know, for the Oklahoma game. But uh, USC unfortunately agreed. Uh, I mean, it's been a the history of USC making its case is is you could not have done a worse job making your case. When you read the uh, appeal that USC filed that wasn't released until Friday, they filed a fabulous appeal. They did a wonderful job pointing out all the mistakes that the NCAA made, all the inconsistencies, all the uh, ways in which the NCAA, uh, you know, changed the rules uh, and, and the way in which the penalties don't match the crimes at all. USC obviously should have released that months and months ago uh, and gotten it out in the public, you know, so that the public could at least be talking about it. At least the media people might have an excuse. Gosh, I read Saturday, I guess it was, one of the um, AP's national college sports columnists, a guy named Tim Dahlberg. I mean, he, he has no idea what went on, no idea of the facts of the case. No, I, I mean, he talks about the volume of uh, evidence against USC. It was so great. It was so, he has no idea. He's a, he's a complete idiot. And he's writing national columns for AP where he knows nothing about what he's writing about. But part of that is USC didn't get the story out. And, uh, you know, Todd McNair at least was able to get his story out. And uh, I think the national dialogue about Todd McNair is he's a scapegoat. And he wasn't guilty, and he's being used because uh, the NCAA needed to pin it on somebody in the USC program. But USC should have done, you know, I think just as good a job, and and they haven't. Whereas Ohio State goes to the mat to defend themselves. The Big Ten goes to the mat, Jim Delaney, the commissioner, to defend Ohio State. Um, SEC defends Alabama. They defend Auburn. They defend anybody, everybody except Lane Kiffin, I guess. Uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, USC did such an unbelievably bad job of uh, managing the case, understanding the case, uh, defending themselves where they should have defended themselves. They basically got it. They just you just can't do a worse job than uh, than USC's done. So now they're the clamor was always you know USC get USC Ohio State. Nah, don't worry about that. That's that's no big deal. But Great point. I think Ohio State, there should be a clamor. I guess you don't hear much in the BCS about that, do you? That's a wonderful point. Um, Well, thanks for that one, Casey. Great point there. Uh, Mazzy in San Francisco writes a little about something we've talked about uh, in the war room a little bit and on the peristyle about the injury factor. And he said, uh, you know, where you're putting kids at risk having to play with 75 scholarships. And he said, hypothetically speaking, if my kid had one scholarship offer and this was from SC, he would either have to risk getting hurt with increased playing time or stop playing football altogether. This seems unconstitutional and the NCAA should be held accountable. Love the Trojans, love the show. Fight on from Mazzy in San Francisco. So what, I mean, it's a point I've tried to make. The problem is if USC makes that case, that will be you know immediately uh, Xeroxed and uh, – Every single competing school in the Pac-12 and every single competing school on every recruit will send it to every recruit saying, 
you're endangering yourself if you go to USC. It's a really hard point for USC to make. I wish, and this is why if you continue a lawsuit against the NCAA, that point can be raised as to, I mean, I almost think it's, you know, the unconstitutionality of penalties, which involve, for example, depriving 30 young men of college scholarships because there's a finite number. And when you take away USC's 30 scholarships the next three years, that's 30 young men who will not be, have a chance to go to a Division I college because as they bump down the list, eventually you're going to, at the other end, there will be 30 players who do not get to go to college as a result of something that happened when they were in the sixth grade. Uh, that should be illegal. The NCAA should be embarrassed that that's how they're uh, choosing to uh, penalize this case. And to ask a, a school in a contact collision sport to go and play the next 50 games against teams uh, over the next three years or four years, however that this is going to play out in terms of numbers, uh, with 10 fewer scholarships in every one of those games, that should be illegal. That should be criminal. I mean, I think the people – uh, you know, should be personally sued on the committee who agreed with that. And I think that they ought to be liable, for example, for, in, you know, for injuries and damages and lawsuits. I mean, I think for the NCAA to come out and act like they've got committees, for example, that they say, well, we're really interested in safety of players and health. we got health issues, you know, quest, you know, they're doing a big thing on concussions and, you know, the whole health impact of all, all kinds of different things. For them – at the same time, to be taking scholarships away from a program and, and requiring it to go in shorthanded uh, in ways in which, you know, you don't have to be, you know, a sports medicine, uh, you know, a guy running a sports medicine clinic to know that that's a danger to players. Um, and to go along with that thoughtlessly, what it tells you is clearly they don't care at all about student athletes. They don't think about them. They're not any part of what they're what, – the NCA is deciding, and uh, it's just embarrassing that uh, somebody at the NCA would pass that on through. It shows you they don't know what they're doing, they don't care what they're doing, and uh, it should never be allowed. It should never be even imagined as part of a structure of penalties. If you want to penalize the guilty people, you want to go after them in, do in terms of dollars, you want to fine the school, fine. But to do this, that's awful. It's, it's horrible. It's uh, it's unethical. It's uh, it's I think I think it's close to criminal uh, for them to do this. They've never done it before. They never penalized a school down to 75 scholarships uh, for more than a year. They've never penalized anybody uh, 30 scholarships uh, and and required them also to have 75. Uh, they've never uh, penalized anybody down to 15 scholarships a year. And then the, they've never required them to not have more than 75 on at any one time. I mean, Al, as bad as, uh, as um, uh, Miami was, they were only knocked down to 80 scholarships uh, under Paul D., of course. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's unconscionable. The NCAA should be – again, that's one of the reasons I think when USC, if they go after the NCAA, if they would, if somebody would – I think the NCAA not only should they have to take it back, they should apologize. It's embarrassing what they've done. What USC the NCAA did to USC love, this week, they, I think, is far worse than anything Jim Trussell ever did, Reggie Bush ever did, 
you know, whatever's going to come out about Auburn or Oregon or North Carolina, none of that is as bad as what the NCAA did over this last year to USC. So I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to pull any punches on that one. It's just, and the more you study it up close and the more you know about it, the madder you got, yeah. honestly. This is the hardest thing about it. People say, you should do a book, and you say, you have to deal with these people and the kind of people they are and the things they do uh, in the kind of depth that it would take when you do a book, and you just think, do I want to have to get involved with this kind of slime uh, while you do something like this? Because this is awful what the NCA has done. These people should be embarrassed, uh, you know, they, sh- they really should. They should absolutely be embarrassed. They should never, none of the people involved with the USC case should ever be allowed to be involved with any kind of enforcement and infraction uh, situation uh, for as long as the NCAA, NCAA is allowed to do them. Anyway. All right. Well, hey, Dan, okay. great stuff as always. Uh, you get the USC fan base fired up. We had to, We had to address it. The good thing is we'll probably put this mostly behind us for now. We won't have to talk about it too much, but it was the, the, the finality of it came out this week, and obviously we needed to talk about it here on the podcast, and we appreciate all your insight on that. And that's the other thing. You don't want to have that taken away from football because I don't think it should. I think USC could be very good this year and could be very good next year. I think this could be you know, a wonderful moment for USC football. So uh, for those who you know, say, gosh, that gets me so down and so discouraged, I think it should be the opposite reaction. I think it should get you upbeat. And I think it should make you, you know, uh, thrilled to be part of the USC family and uh, for a program to still have a chance to really do what, what this USC program could do uh, in the next couple of years, which would be the ultimate uh, thumb in the nose, uh, uh, thumb in your nose, and I guess thumb in the eye of the NCAA if, if USC does it. So this might be a time, I think, as mad as you get about it, and I don't know if we should stop because I think, college sports needs to have this change but i think uh it gives you a chance to really uh support this program and ways in which uh, uh you know this program uh deserves to be uh, to be supported oh and i have one more correction i just think i was thinking about it every once in a while i will say louis uh zamperini I will throw in, if you remember, the cowboy coach, Ernie Zampezi, and I'll, I'll conflate the two and call <laughs> Louis Zamperini Ernie, and I don't know why. I can't get myself from doing that, and I, and I you know, because I got to talk to him a little bit the other day when he was at USC, but it's Louis Zamperini and just the absolute greatest, uh, maybe, uh, you know, greatest Trojan of them all, but uh, in, his, in, the, in the book, uh, by Laura Hillebrand, uh, uh, Unbroken. So everybody get out there and, and pay tribute to uh, Louis Samparini. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate that. I'm going to go get that book for my, my trip this week, so that should be cool. And, oh, yeah, uh, that would be perfect reading on the plane. Yeah. Absolutely. Not so great. bad. Uh, I think will, it'll be you'll great. You'll love right. it. Thanks for pointing that out, Dan, and uh, thanks for coming on. Happy Memorial Day to you. hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Have a good trip there. Mr. Ryan. All right, thanks very much. And everyone else will be back in 30 seconds talking recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. 
Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by Gerard Martinez, USAFootball.com's National Recruiting Analyst. What's up, Gerard? How are you? Nothing much. Just enjoying Memorial Day, thanking uh, all the veterans and everyone who uh, helps uh, guard this country and uh, make us safe. So, great day. Great day outside. Uh, have some barbecue and uh, working vacation for us, uh, Mr. Abraham. Working vacation. <laughs> it is a working vacation. And a uh, little uh, house cleaning. Happy Memorial Day to everyone as well. Um, and thank you to our veterans like we thanked in the first segment. Uh, next week, Gerard, it's going to be the first time we're going to miss the podcast in like three years. Uh, I will be in Cabo San Lucas becoming a uh, legitimate married man. So uh, we're not going to have a legitimate one as opposed to an illegitimate one. <laughs> yeah. So no show next week. It's the first time we'll have a, a scheduled non-show in like three years. So I apologize to everyone else out there. Maybe we'll try to do one later on in the week, but I won't get back until Wednesday. It'd just be too hard to do something like that while I'm in another country. So, unfortunately, all you podcast fans, we will not have a show next week. So subscribe to the Peristyle because I will still be there. Gerard will still be on there answering all your questions on the, on the Peristyle. So check it out. Go to uscfootball.com for that. Well, we do have a bunch of questions today. Uh, a lot of recruiting impact with the uh, notice of the appeal being denied. USC stuck with 75 scholarships over the next three recruiting classes and just 15 scholarships per recruited class. So it's uh, certainly some handcuffs on Lane Kiffin and the staff. Overall, Gerard, what, what did you think about that? I mean, we, we, did, we kind of expected it, but now that it's reality, what do you think? Yeah, kind of whole, cold, hard reality, you know, so to speak. And uh, one of those things that I think there was some optimism there, and I think there was a lot of people that were kind of in the back of their head thinking, hey, you know, there's some guys out there that are on the cusp of getting scholarship offers. Um, you know, if they get some extra offers that they can give, some extra rides that they can give, you know, who are going to be some of those kids that uh, are able to get it? Now you kind of take a step back and go, all right, those offers are not there. So, again, USC has to be very careful with who they offer, and they have to have a plan for each and every offer that they give. So, uh, you know, May evaluation period is now over. It's now uh, in hindsight, and the, the coaches, you know, kind of go back and meet and uh, review some of the tape that they have and what they saw over the past month and, um, you know, try to make some hard decisions as to, you know, who are they bringing in and, and, you know, who they have on the roster right now. And I think that's the biggest thing, that's the biggest change you're really going to see, quite frankly. I think that they want to have turnover with, you know, recruiting classes coming in, but I think they also have to evaluate uh, their own roster in an NFL personnel-type situation uh, much differently than they have in the past. They are starting to compare kids that are there, uh, that they brought into the program, and their performance on the field um, with maybe new recruits that they could bring in instead of, you know, we're bringing in these recruits to replace guys that are graduating. I think it's a different mindset. A guy's leaving, and you know he's leaving. Uh, it's a little different than, okay, we're bringing in this kid. Uh, we feel like, you know, he's, he's going to be a guy that can contribute right away. Um, you know, whose spot might he take on the roster right now? Um, yeah, all good points. We talked a lot about that in the Paris, I mean, in the war room on Friday, a lot of the ramifications of all that. And let's get to some of these questions, Gerard. Uh, Sam wanted to know, we've had a bunch of people talk about this. They're kind of looking for ways to get around 
giving an athlete a scholarship. Um, and I guess we could talk about the options, but he wanted to know about could students get some kind of loans or grants um, for athletics uh, or um, could like, you know, well-off parents pay for, pay for the kid's tuition. And essentially, you know, there, there's only one choice here. You can be a walk-on and pay for tuition yourself or you get a scholarship. There's really no two ways about it. Exactly, and that's really where USC's, uh, you know, as an institution being a private institution, being a very expensive institution, um, it's it's a recruiting ploy and, and pitch that you can use when you're out in the, the the road and you're a coach and you're saying, listen, I mean, this is this is a, an incredible education. Look how much money this tuition is worth. Um, but then on the flip side, when you're bringing in walk-ons, it's much harder to bring in quality walk-ons because it is so expensive. So I think that kind of answers the question. Um, it's really difficult to bring guys in on any kind of grants or loans uh, because it is so expensive. And, you know, um, I mean, a loan is uh, usually going out to someone that can pay it in the end. And, and if, uh, you know, a lot of these kids are coming from the inner city, they're coming from uh, backgrounds where, you know, a scholarship is really huge for them. And, you know, to ask, I think, players, parents that are on the roster right now, hey, you're well off, uh, which, you know, I don't think many are that well off that they can pay that kind of money. Um, hey, can you pitch in? I think is, is kind of difficult, too. It's it's not an easy situation. I think pretty much if it was a situation which it could be done, it would have been done in the past, even, you know, with, uh, you know, just a few scholarships uh, that you need on the roster to get to 85 if you felt like you could get a quality player in and not have to use that scholarship and, and get a grant or get a loan or there was some type of loophole, it would have been done in the past and it hasn't been so I think it's pretty difficult and and obviously you know I think this is the one thing though we said this um, when USC was first handed down the sanctions if there's a coach out there that can really find those gray areas and can find those loopholes it's going to be Lane Kiffin he's very smart he's very strategic when it comes to recruiting um, he's been a tremendous recruiter uh, everywhere he's gone and from a recruiting coordinator standpoint as well you know you can be a great recruiter as a salesman but you also have to be a great thinker as a coordinator to be able to organize to be able to understand to be able to have foresight and to see your roster not only this year and next year but maybe three or four years down the line I think Lane Kiffin can do that so you know when it comes to trying to hash out you know how do we distribute these offers how do we distribute uh, the amount of scholarships we have on the roster depth chart wise um, I think Lane Kiffin is is definitely going to be uh, you know it's going to be advantageous that USC has him um, and they're able to kind of use him to be able to you know like I said pace the scholarship issue I think that's the biggest problem is just you know where USC ends up on the back end of this thing you know this year next year maybe not so much of an issue they'll be close to 80 scholarships but when you start to get into that 2014-2015 that's when uh, the, the scholarship reduction really starts to hurt and you do have attrition there are things that happen to these kids uh, when they come into the program whether it be academics or medical where they're not able to contribute and you cannot go out and recruit those players again all right. Uh, great stuff there, Gerard. Well, we had a couple questions on Max Turek. Uh, Jonathan wrote in. He said, first of all, congratulations on you getting married. Thank you very much. And he said, condolences to your wife. <laughs> so they, I'm sure Jana will take that. He said, just kidding. Um, so Jonathan wanted to know, he was impressed with Turek's tapes, especially his speed, lateral movement, ability to lock on and annihilate a defender. Any chance USC could use him? As a fullback, and then uh, we had the other one, Pat. He likes Turk. He's thinking he can really move laterally as well. Um, do you think he could play guard? So, but two two different guys 
talking about Turek playing different places. Two different positions. Um, guard, definitely. I think he might actually project better as a guard. Uh, Frame-wise, he reminds me a little of Chris O'Dowd. He's a big boy. Uh, we saw him at the Rivals Five-Star Academy that we had at Corona Centennial uh, a month ago. And just, you know, very impressive in terms of his frame, in terms of his ability uh, to carry a lot of weight. And he's almost at that 300-pound uh, level right now and, and carries it well and he moves well. This is a guy that used to play tight end, I mean, originally when he came into high school. So he's grown and he's developed over the years. And um, it, he, he's really a well-put-together physical kid. And, and he has great feet and he has good power and aggressive and I think inside he would do really well. Um, at fullback, no, that's not going to happen. I think USC at this point, um, they're recruiting fullback pretty well. I mean, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Jill Pinner uh, getting a scholarship offer. I think he's a guy that's definitely going to be able to play fullback, um, maybe even grow out of playing fullback. Um, you got Charles Burks, who's a guy that it looks like he's going to come in and play fullback right away. Um, you've got Soma Vanuku. Uh, USC's recruiting the fullback position. And, again, I think it's smart. I think it's, you know, one of those deals where, you know, with USC when they had regular scholarships and they could give out 25 a class, um, they brought in a lot of guys who are athletes. And, you know, I think Pete Carroll got a little enamored with uh, just finding the best players. You know, it was like, oh, wow, I could get this guy and I can get that guy. And a lot of schools fall into that trap. I think I've seen it even with Auburn and, and Florida fell into it where, you know, you get these great, great classes of a bunch of athletes, but nobody really fits the mold or the model of the system that you run. You're just getting the best players out there. You're trying to get as many five-star guys as possible. And I think the one good thing right now that USC is doing, and again, this kind of goes to Lane Kiffin and his ability to strategize when it comes to um, scholarship offers and the depth chart, he's getting guys that fit a role and they're specific to what the plan is for the offense. And they still want to run a pro-style offense, so they're getting those players that fit certain roles. And you're getting guys like Charles Brooks. You're getting guys like Jaleel Pinner that can fit that role and you know exactly what they're going to do and, and kind of where they fit in for the next four years uh, when you're going to have them on the roster. And I think that's important. You can't – the real thing that USC can't do right now is bring in guys that are just like, well, he's a great athlete, and then we're going to get him and we'll figure out where he plays. That doesn't work right now. That doesn't work with you with USC and kind of where they are. They need to have guys where you know exactly where they're going to play. You feel very confident where they're going to play and they're going to be able to contribute and they're going to be able to make an impact on the roster and play. And I think with uh, Max Turk, I think that's a guy who's like I said, really could end up playing guard, really big body, great feet, as you know, said. Um, he has great video, and you watch his film, and he's a guy that gets downfield, and, and he's physical. And, uh, you know, hearing a little bit of the aftermath from when USC got him committed, uh, there was a few schools that were pretty disappointed uh, that uh, USC was able to come in and sweep up Max Turk as, as fast as they were able to. Uh, a lot of people thought USC was going to wait, and it would give, uh, you know, some of these other Pac-10 schools, and, and really some of these schools nationally, a chance to recruit him harder. I mean, he had offers from Alabama. Um, he's talking about, you know, Boston College. I mean, shows he's, he's a good student. Michigan, Nebraska, Notre Dame, Oregon. All those schools offered him scholarships. So a lot of people felt like, you know, maybe if USC was going to spend more time, you know, trying to focus on guys that were out of state, some of these, you know, southern uh, offensive linemen. But, you know, USC right now, you know, over the past month, really focused on Orange County kids specifically. And, you know, USC kind of got away from that. Now it seems like even a guy like Joe Pinner, who only has the USC scholarship offer, 
USC feels like staying close to home, building those fences around the program. That's how Pete Carroll did it in the beginning. That's how he started. And then it became, hey, we can go national with this thing. We can recruit kids all over the place. I think you can cherry pick kids all over the place. But when you look at those Heisman Trophy winners, when you go into that Heritage Hall and you start looking at retired jerseys, it's all California kids. And I think that's where USC kind of has to build their foundation uh, to keep this program at, at a high success rate. All right, great points there on Max. Uh, Bill, uh, kind of, we talked about this a little bit. We'll we'll just go, go over some more of it. But okay, we're down ten scholars. He says, "What's your plan? How do we distribute the seventy-five between offense, defense, and special teams? How brutal is it going to get? Are we going to revoke scholarships to get back to seventy-five for the next year, or just hope for attrition?" And what he's talking about essentially is that you know USC's at um, eighty-two scholarships right now. If everyone gets in. And we've talked about this in the war room. We talked about it in the peristyle quite a bit. They got to get down to seventy-five. There's only thirteen seniors on the roster, um, so you're knocking down to like sixty-nine. That leaves, <laughs> well, from that, there's only uh, six guys under seventy-five there. So without some attrition, USC already has too many commitments for what's going on. And I, I guess the the challenge is going to be each year. It's going to be a little bit different. Like this first year, Gerard, they got to somehow get under seventy-five. And if it's, you know, if some guys have to transfer out, guys leave early for the NFL, whatever, there's something's got to happen to get them under 75 scholarships and still sign a significant class getting up as close to 15 as they possibly can. Uh, then the following year, there's 18 juniors on the roster. Uh, they'll be seniors. So now you have more than 15 leaving. So then obviously, the, you know, you're not going to be able to get back up to the 75. So there's different challenges, Gerard, each year of this uh, of these sanctions. Most definitely, and I think, uh, you know, as you said, it's it's that ability to replace, uh, you know, those numbers that leave, and you're kind of stuck with that 15. Um, the one thing I think, you know, the question, I think the heart of it is, is difficult to answer is tar- in terms of balance, in terms of depth chart. You know, how many quarterbacks do you want to have? Uh, how many running backs do you want to have? You know, I think that's kind of going to be trial by error, maybe to some extent. I mean, the coaches know what numbers they feel comfortable at, and I think, you know, they're going to look at that. But at the end of the day, if you haven't gone through something like this before, I don't know that you can really have a grasp on, well, okay, this is this is how many tight ends we can play with with this scheme. Um, you know, I don't think USC needs to recruit a tight end in this class. I think if you've got Christian Thomas and you've got Xavier Grimble and you've got Randall Telfer and, and possibly Junior Palme coming in, I think that's a great number for 75 scholarships on the roster. I think, you know, if as long as you've got those guys, those guys stay healthy and they stay at those positions, I think you've got a solid nucleus at tight end. Um, how many offensive linemen do you have? Well, you can really never have enough, as we've seen, uh, you know, with, with spring ball on USC. You know, although they had 13 on the roster – um, you, you know, you're talking about guys that uh, a, a few of them were very injured uh, the past couple of years and, and didn't play a lot in spring ball, and now you're going to bring in some freshmen and cross your fingers and hope all those guys end up being home runs because 13 is even still not a lot, not a large number. I mean, usually you want to be up in that 18, 20 number for offensive linemen on your roster, and USC's always kind of played with fire with that. Uh, you know, Pat Rule, even you know when he was the offensive line coach, really kind of allowed USC to recruit a lot more skilled position players, and and luckily, you know, for for most years, his guys stayed healthy. Um, but you know, it it really could be catastrophic. You know, one of these positions, offensive line, you know, 
two or three guys that are their key guys end up getting hurt, and, and USC is going to be very, very bad on the offensive line, and then that affects the whole offense. So it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of you got to feel, you know, how it's going. You know, do they have enough defensive linemen to, to have, you know, two solid rotations in the game? Um, I think, you know, more significantly, you have to look at practice numbers. I think that's really where you start to get – into, you know, does USC have enough numbers at certain positions to be able to practice and prepare to the point? Because you, you can look at it in a game situation and say, well, you only need 11 guys, you know, on either side of the ball to be able to play football. Well, that's true, but in order to practice, in order to prepare and to run a scout team and to have quality players that can challenge the first team, you've got to have some numbers and depth. So I think, you know, as you said, I think it's also important to point out that uh, if this is this is not this year necessarily that we're talking about getting under 75. It's not you know 2011 2012 season. It's the season after. It's the 2012 going into 2013. So that's where USC has to get under that number of 75, and where you know it's going to be difficult. You know how does it happen? You mentioned um, you know just certain players are, are are maybe going to be under the cut in terms of not performing well, um, you know, you have great issues. Um, there are going to be things that come up with players that, you know, maybe they've gotten second and third chances uh, with academics or off-field issues in the past. That's no longer the case. If there's an excuse and you're not cutting, uh, the, you're not pulling your weight on the, on the, for the program and on the depth chart, then, you know, maybe you're going to have to go find, you know, a scholarship somewhere else to play football. And I think that's going to be one of those things. And, and, and we haven't seen the full class of 2011 come in yet. They signed 30. How many players actually qualify? You know, we talked about that in the more room, too. You know, if these guys are going to give us get a second chance to be able to play. Um, the other thing that we talked about in the war room, which I think is significant, um, from what we understand, from what we believe, from what we've been told, and, again, some of this stuff is fluid, um, USC might be able to roll over some scholarships, uh, meaning, uh, you know, with 2000, this 2012 class, uh, in reality they actually have 17 scholarships to give from what we understand. So they didn't sign two players in the 2011 class. Uh, while they had 30 and you can only give 25, many of those 30, almost half the class, was from 2010 because they were early enrollees. Well, if in 2012 you can have early enrollees, you could have two more players because they only signed 23 actual players in the 2011 class roll over the 2012 class. So with that said, maybe USC can sign 15 in this class, but in reality are only signing 13 that go towards the 2011 class and use two more to roll over to 2013, so on and so forth, able to kind of backtrack some of these offers and push it into 2013, 2014, so it does bring more balance to the roster, and you don't have that large number of freshmen because you've got 38 freshmen right now on the roster, and you're talking about 13 uh, sophomores, 18 juniors. It's really too many freshmen, and we'll see, again, if all those guys qualify, that number could go down. And that in itself could maybe bring more scholarships over to this 2012 class for early enrollees, specifically, exclusively, and then if they're able to get those guys early enrollees, they're able to kind of push those uh, those scholarships that they actually had in 2012 over to 2013. So, very complicated situation. We were asking a lot of questions, and you know what, now, I think compliance and, and USC coaching staff is feeling it out, but, you know, they had a plan last year, and they handled it well, and I think, you know, the fans kind of have a little bit of trust that they have a plan this year, and, and they'll probably handle it just as well. Um, Sam had a question on 
with Pete Carroll, how many he brought in every year. He said it thinks it was less than 80. SC really never had 85 players. So for 75 over three years, it doesn't look as bad. And I, I think he has a good point. I mean, Pete Carroll, it was, you know, they were in the low 80s probably most of the time. And they would bring in 18, 19 guys. But it is a big difference trying to bring in 18 or 19, knowing that if you get a few uh, risk, I mean, you know, high risk guys at the end or, or, or guys that were long shots at the end, you could have had 22 and it's not a big deal than having to get 15 and only 15 or maybe a couple more from early enrollees. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big difference. It's not that different from what Pete Carroll did, but just the, the not, no flexibility makes it a lot harder, I think. I think exactly what you said, the flexibility, because the truth of the matter is, you know, USC had that 85 limit with Pete Carroll. And maybe they get close, they get 80, 81, and then they give a guy a walk-on, a scholarship, and then they get up to 83 and they'd be close to 84. But you could play with that number. The problem is USC's got 75, and with the 15 per year limit, it, it really it doesn't give you any flexibility for one or two players. You're You're trying to foresee, you know, how these kids shape up at the end of the year, whether you're going to get this kid, be able to sign him, you know, at the end of January, there's no leeway, there's no flexibility, it's not, you know, 75 or so, it's 75, and it's staying at that 75 number, 75 doesn't sound bad, 75 isn't terrible when you're talking about 75, but like you said, when they've got 18 juniors, and you're not going to be able to bring in maybe some of those players to recruit all those scholarships, three more that you got over that 15, then all of a sudden, oh, wait, now we're at 72. And then we're at 71 because somebody got hurt. It's really not 75, 75, 75. It's, it's just trying to maintain that 75 number because it's already low. But the truth is, you know, it wasn't, USC wasn't at exactly 85 every year. You know, I mean, sure, they would, well, hey, let's get another scholarship player and play every, every year. You know, if you could be certain that you could get 85 and be on that number, you, you tend to be a little lower than that. So while we talk about 75, the number might be a little lower. It might be more like 72. 70 and that's tough you know now you're not just talking about 75 now you're talking about a little less and that's that's the challenge is trying to actually keep that 75 number and and get the most out of uh each scholarship that you have and um you know it's it's again it goes back to everything we've said thus far in the podcast uh it's about evaluation you know it's about evaluation of the recruits that you're bringing in but the evaluation of your roster as it is right now and making sure that the players you have they fit a role they fit something specific and you're confident that they're going to be able to fulfill that role and play for you for four years. And you can't see into the future. And, and you know, like I said, Lane Kiffin, very good at strategy. But, you know, you can't see that, hey, this kid's going to end up, you know, getting hurt or you bring in a kid and, and he just, you know, he has some back problems or he has some knee problems. I mean, it happens. And that's how you end up, you know, losing a couple scholarships here and there. So that's really the difficult part. It's, you know, 75 is the number that we talk about. But, you know, maintaining the maximum of that 75 is still going to be difficult. Um, the next question is to re- revolve around how, who USC signed already and, and going forward uh, with seven uh, commitments already. Two of them are running backs and three are wide receivers. Kevin points out he wants to know how they're going to get offensive, defensive linemen and linebackers with those uh, last eight. And uh, Lawrence in Dallas, Texas specifically wants to know about the secondary, where offers are and that and how they'll fit into the, the remaining class. It will be magic. That's that's my that's my 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 thought on that. Um, 
I mean, they have any scholarships, and, and and again, we're talking about eight, and then you know, looking and seeing if they actually take the full amount, um, if they roll some guys over. Uh, this is still, you know, I, I think at this point they've recruited as if they weren't going to get any scholarships back. So I don't think it's necessarily like, oh God, what do we do now? We gave all these offers out, now we don't know what's going on. We talk time and time again about the receiver situation. They have three receivers technically committed. Whether all those guys stay committed um, and whether they stay at receiver remains to be seen. Um, they do have one offensive lineman. I think they'd like to bring in four, and I think that they're going to bring in four. I, I think that's just a number that they have to go for. I, I, I think, like I said, the, the scholarship situation at offensive line right now is still low, and you're bringing in a bunch of freshmen. And so I, I think they've, they've got to really bring in numbers at that position. I think you're looking maybe at less linebackers uh, than you would if they would have got some scholarships back. I think that's a position that might get hurt a little bit. Um, you know, maybe uh, they bring in another guy. That I think, you know, they would have liked to bring in three. I'm thinking maybe now it's going to be more like two. Um, they do have two running backs. Uh, we talked about the fullback position. You know, there's pressure points on the on certain schemes uh, with certain positions, uh, positions that make that scheme different than the next scheme. And I think one of the real important positions uh, with the pro-style offense is definitely fullback. I think fullback, you've got to have tight ends that are able to block. Um, you've got to have a pro-style quarterback, a guy that can, you know, drop back. He has the footwork to play and the play action. And I think the other position offensively that you have to have is a guy that can stretch the field. Um, I think too often USC has had possession receivers and they've tried to run play action offense with possession receivers that really can only get 10, 15 yards downfield and can't stretch the field. And you, you're, not, you're not breaking that bubble. You're not breaking the ceiling of the defense with play action. If you run play action and the defense comes up and they buy it on the run and you've got a guy that's not fast enough to get behind the defense, well, then what is that? That doesn't really do anything. You, you don't, you're just not going to have much success with that. You're going to have a bogged down defense that's kind of sitting, you know, on the hash marks and, and playing uh, your possession receivers, and they're kind of able to kill two birds with one stone because they're close to the line of scrimmage. So USC's got to have guys that can stretch the field. They've got to have some speed. They have that Robert Woods. They're bringing that with George Farmer. It looks pretty good in that situation. You know, they do have more receivers on the roster. The thing that, you know, I can't answer and I've been asked about and and it haven't been asked on the Parastyle podcast yet, but I'll jump the shark here and, and put it out there. You know, why is USC uh, pushing so hard to bring Bryce Butler back when that's a guy that, you know, kind of, you know, contributed some last year, but at a position where there's lots of depth and you figured you could use that scholarship um, to go towards this year uh, and, and bring in, you know, maybe another lineman or bring in another linebacker, or a position where maybe you need to have players. You know, I don't really know. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder if that receiver position is as solidified as we think. Kyle Prater has not played yet. He's been injured. Um, you know, we're going to kind of see what happens with Marquis Ambles. He's a guy that's been in trouble and had issues. Again, you know, not many second chances left on the roster right now when you're trying to get down below that 75 number, uh, you know, after the 2011-2012 uh, season. Uh, great stuff. And then one last thing from Steve. He said, with the recent commitment of Pinner, seems like USC has three big running backs with uh, Javaris Allen, Kelvin York, and, and Pinner at running back in 2012. Do you think that USC needs more speed at running back so you can make the big play? The guys that like DJ Morgan or Curtis McNeil seem to be the only backs that can break a long run. Do you think that's something this team needs? I think the team has needed speed at the line at the at the running back position for a while. I mean, you can you always need speed at the running back position. If you've got a game breaker, you've got a guy uh, that can legitimately break angles uh, with the secondary. And meaning, you know, he doesn't get 
you know, he, he breaks through that first wave of the defense, and, and he doesn't just get, you know, 20, 30 yards like maybe Mark Tyler. He's able to run 80 yards and score a touchdown. The difference between that is just significant. I mean, it's the difference between Reggie Bush and Joe McKnight, quite frankly. It's the difference between, you know, having a guy that gets seven and having a guy that gets you down in the red zone. And all of a sudden, you, you better have a good red zone offense. You better be able to pass the ball in the red zone or you be able to run the ball in the red zone to be able to complete that drive and score. And I think a guy like Reggie Bush or C.J. Spiller, you know, some of these players that really have that, that speed, I'll throw it out there, elite speed, that are able to break those angles, that's huge. I mean, that's, and, and really, you cross your fingers, I think, with the Morgan. He's the one guy on the roster right now that might have that ability to be a game breaker. He's still a little coasty, a little bit of a long strider. Um, you know, we're going to kind of see how he develops. I mean, he, last time we saw him play was in high school, and he blew his ACL out um, at his senior year, and we haven't really seen him full bore yet. We haven't really seen him at 100%. He played well during the spring in spots, had you know a couple ankle injuries there at the end, and, and you saw a little bit of attrition with him. He's not a big running back, and that's really kind of the case with all the running backs, but he is the one guy that at least, at least has the speed to be able to break those big runs. So I think he's kind of the guy that you put – money on right now is being that, you know, elite speed guy. And USC's going to kind of cross your fingers a little bit. He's a freshman. If you can ride him as your speed back, then you're okay. Uh, then you can bring in these big backs that can pound it. Um, I think, you know, to some extent, USC's kind of becoming the ying to Oregon's ying. Uh, you know, Oregon's that small, fast team, running no huddle, trying to wear you down from a, from a cardio standpoint almost, trying to make you play in space. It almost seems like USC's like, all right, you want to do that? Well, we can recruit the guys that can pound you, that can take the ball, control it, control the field, control field position, and keep your offense off the field. And really, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting battle that's, that's kind of brewing here. It's, it's kind of shaping up as, you know, two different methods. You have, you know, the, 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 the air it out, um, you know, kind of put you in space type offense against what might be and what USC's kind of building right now into a real power-driven play-action offense that, you know, is going to control the ball, control the ball, and then if you come up and you, you're playing too close to the line of scrimmage, they're going to go deep on you and go to Robert Woods and go, you know, maybe George Farmer, uh, some of these guys that they've got that are real burners. You know, Devon Flournoy is a guy that people haven't seen that's a real burner, that's, that's a kid that should definitely contribute to USC. So I think, you know, you're seeing a clash of styles there kind of starting to, to build up, and, um, and we'll see, you know, who wins. I mean, obviously USC is at a disadvantage because they're going to have, you know, less scholarships. But if you have key players at the right positions – really step up and, and, and become those guys that you recruited to become, then USC is going to be okay. But it's just an if. Lots of ifs, lots of ifs. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff. We appreciate you coming on and talking USC recruiting. And now at least we know going forward how many scholarships they got. They can still play a few games, but we know there's going to be that hard limit of 75. So it'll be interesting to watch Lane Kiffin and his staff, how they try to stay under that for the next few years. Yep, most definitely. So uh, stay tuned to USCfootball.com because we'll be on top of it. We will be on top of it. Thank you so much again, Gerard, and thanks to all of our listeners out there. And again, we will be off next week. I'll be in Cabo San Lucas getting married, but we will skip the show first time in three years. Sorry about that. We will try to do one later in the week. We appreciate you listening in, all your questions for the Peristyle Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all in two weeks. You've 
been listening to the Pear Style Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on parastylepodcast.com or search for Parastyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.